Hey folks, it's Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a normally a show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Times on Sunday. Uh, however, uh, it is 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday. And uh, since we've all been uh, home socially isolating ourselves, I've actually had more D&D games than I typically have, including uh, Saturday games, like two out of three Saturdays or something like that. I try to give myself at least one Saturday off. And uh, so today we are continuing a, uh, a game that I am running uh, where I am running Descent into Avernus. So today we're going to be talking about Descent into Avernus. This show, like all Sly Flourish shows and articles, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish at patreon.com slash Sly Flourish. If you would like to support Sly Flourish and all of the things that I do here and help pay for all of the infrastructure it takes to keep the Sly Flourish empire going, you can do so at patreon.com slash Sly Flourish. You will actually get access to an adventure that's exclusive for Patreon Sly Flourish backers called uh, Regnum Rattus, The Rats in the Cellar. This is a one-to-five introductory adventure for D&D in which the characters meet with an old friend who runs an inn to find out why the rats in the basement are going crazy and all of the things that lie beneath. So, uh, so you can get that for free. Well, you get that with your backing of Sly Flourish on Patreon. Uh, what other, any other news? So like, we will have the show tomorrow as well. Uh, so if you are around tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be talking about my Eberron game. But today we're talking about Descent into Avernus. Uh, I'm actually very happy to run this. Uh, I had two, my, my two regular groups, I gave them both, you know, the Eberron book and the Avernus book both came out at the same time. I have my Eberron books in right here. And um, both came out around the same time. I finished up my Ghost of Saltmarsh game for both groups. And I asked them, like, which would you rather run? And both groups said they'd rather play. They were interested in Avernus, but they'd rather play Eberron. So both my home groups are now in a homebrew Eberron game, which is good because it's good practice for me to run a homebrew game instead of just running everything for modules, and uh, which I typically do. And I can tell you, I now know why I like running things for modules because uh, things are a little bit more solid. It's easier for me, I find. I think this is true. Right? I think I'm allowed to say this, that uh, I think it is easier for me to rework stuff that's written by other people than it is for me to write it from scratch. Uh, and it has to do with, it's not so much the level of effort, it's not so much the effort that's required. It's the level of effort. Uh, it's, the, um, it's the amount of uh, solidity to what exists. That when I'm homebrewing my campaign, I feel like there's no solid ground underneath me. And that I could really make it go wherever I want. And I think the games are going fine and people are happy with them. And afterwards, I'll have to kind of ask them, like, how did this campaign feel to the other campaigns? But there's something about, you know, having a solid base of, like, a great big hardcover book underneath you that you then modify and change. And only when the book is really off track uh, do you have to change it so significantly that it's not worth running. And I think Descent into Avernus uh, is a good example of a uh, campaign adventure that is imperfect in its construction and uh, yet is still a solid foundation from which to build a campaign that actually is a lot of fun. That's my going in plan. That's my going in hypothesis is that it is, I know it's a flawed adventure and I know that I, I think I, I, I won't know what the actual flaws are until I've really run it. But right now, having listened to people and having watched people that have been playing it and, and reading a lot about how people are running and playing and having read it myself, I can say, okay, I think these are the areas that need it. And the example was in the first one, I knew that I wanted to show uh, El Terrell fall into hell. I didn't like the idea that you start at the front gates of Baldur's Gate and you get immediately recruited by Flaming Fist mercenaries who you hate to go do a bunch of odd jobs. I, I knew that that wasn't the intro I wanted to have for this adventure and that to me, having the characters as Hell Riders or allies of the Hell Riders, having a primary Hell Rider NPC that they can respect and like and uh, watching El Terrell fall into, into Avernus uh, was, in, I mean, it was great. So I really enjoy doing it that way. And um, I feel as the DM that it's a much stronger starting hook that helps me drive the rest of this, this uh, campaign. So that worked out really well. So in the last session, so in session one, they saw that there were a bunch, you know, there were a bunch of leaders were in El Terrell, uh, the, the leadership, including uh, Duke, High Duke, Alder, Ravenguard, gave information to... Uh, to, to uh, the leadership who was at 
um, El Terrell, uh, information that these cults are starting to grow in both Baldur's Gate and in, uh, even in and around El Terrell. And you should send your people out there and go find them. And so the group went out and they found some cultists of the Dead Three conducting a ritual. Then on their way back, they watched the Companion, which is this huge orb that hangs over the top of the city, went from pure white to pure black. And then all of a sudden this rip went around the whole city and the whole city fell into this portal into hell and then the, the portal sealed up. And they're like looking down, they're like, oh my God, the whole city's gone. And uh, then we cut two 10 days later where the characters were at the gates of water of Baldur's gate, having received a message from their point of contact from their, from their leader, their, their patron of um, from uh, the hell riders who said, I have information and we're going to get our revenge against the cult who destroyed, who destroyed El Terrell. And so they met her at a bar. She met, they, they met another contact at a bar who said, I know where these cultists are hanging out in Baldur's gate. There's a bathhouse. You should go there and figure it out. So the characters went to the bathhouse and they, um, the characters went to the bathhouse and they started crawling through the dungeon of the dead three. And they were about three fourths of the way through the dungeon by the time our session ran out. So these sessions are four hours long. We're playing online over discord, uh, five players, five, five players, five characters. So let's jump to the notes here. Uh, and let's start with step one from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, which is uh, reviewing the characters. So as I mentioned, uh, all of the characters uh, fall under a single patron uh, who's Rhea Mantelmorn, uh, a Hellrider lieutenant, and now one of the few remaining Hellriders in uh, the area and in Baldur's Gate. Many of the Hellriders were taken in when, when Elturel fell. We have Xenon, played by Dan, who's a half-orc fighter uh, who doesn't reveal much about his fast, was a soldier in the military, and is always kind of keeping an eye on Rhea. Uh, we have Moradin, played by Paul, who's a hill dwarf cleric. I think he changed his name because uh, he figured out that Moradin. Oh, uh, I can, you know, I'm like, I don't know how I'll find out his name, but I have D&D Beyond, and so do they. So let's take a look at campaigns and... Uh, let's look at Saturday Avernus. So you have a nice look at that piece of art, huh? That's a badass art right there. Uh, Magron. Um, so we have Xenon. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to try a trick here, which is we can take a look at the characters. Um, no VTT found that matches. Oh, that's because I'm running, uh, what's it called? Beyond, uh, beyond 20. So, uh, acrobatics, athletics, uh, in sleight of hand. Oh, he's got a pretty good dex. So that's good. So I'm trying to remember what, uh, the proficient, what proficient skills the characters have. Ac acrobatics, athletics, intimidation, perception, and sleight of hand. I'm never going to remember all that. Perception, I think, was the other one. So this, I can just keep uh, an idea of when, when the characters have selected their skills, that's a way to see what the players expect their characters to be able to do. Uh, Levartis, uh, also it goes by Lev, uh, has acrobatics. Let's see, Lev. So if we keep a list of the proficient skills that a character that a player has selected, Arcana, History, Perception, Performance. Uh, uh, history, per Perception, Performance, and Stealth. Um, it gives us an idea of the kinds of things that we expect the player is going to want to do with their character. So it's a little bit of a trick. Um, but I think it's, I think it's, uh, let's see, we'll go to Kara, uh, acrobatics, insight, perception, performance, persuasion, and stealth, acrobatics, insight, perception, persuasion, put that in the short-term memory. Did I even get that right? No, I didn't. Acrobatics, insight, perception, performance. Acrobatics, insight, perception, performance, persuasion, and stealth. So this way I can get a general idea about what the player is hoping to do with their character when they're involved in any given, any given scene, outside of, generally outside of combat. 
um, it's just a handy thing to have. It also makes it easy. I'm not writing the scores down because the scores don't quite matter as much. It's mostly like what they've got. Arcana, Insight, Persuasion, and Survival. Uh, oh, I wrote Insight twice. Persuasion and Survival. And last is uh, Tenacity, played by my wife. Investigation, Religion, Sleight of Hands, and Stealth. There. So now, for all the characters, when I review them, I have an idea of the skills that they have... Um, uh, this, the skills that they selected, which gives me a general idea about like which characters are going to be interested in which kind of things. I can, I can look at my list here and I can see that, ah, yeah, so I know who the people are that are interested in Arcana. I can also generally see, like, are there skills that are missing? Um, so that's pretty good. So we have Xenon, half-arc fighter, doesn't reveal much about the past, always keep an eye on Rhea. Magron, Hildorf cleric, uh, hasn't seen, yeah, uh, hasn't, haven't seen Rhea. I don't know what that means, so I'm going to get rid of that. But I think Rhea helped, right? Um, Rhea and the Hellriders. Uh, the Hellriders... Uh, in the Hellriders, because of her, uh, small clan of Helldwarves are under attack. They were saved. The, the Hellriders saved the forge. Uh, sent to, so um, Magron was sent as tribute after the war uh, to go serve in the Hellriders. Uh, we have Carabas, Texabi, monk who doesn't bathe, doesn't like water. Uh, female, that seems to be the primary roleplay option there. Uh, female royal family visiting the city, uh, wants to go out and explore the world, and Myers Rhea, so kind of visited, visited the area. Uh, tenacity, Tiefling, Warwalk, uh, Hellriders got our scrape, told by our patron to serve the Hellriders. The patron is the companion. The companion has turned black. And uh, so there's a lot of character stuff going on there. Uh, and we have Lev, Lev, Levitus, an elf wizard practicing to become a blade singer, learned magic along the way. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Like, see, I already wrote the history in Arcana, so I can get rid of that because I, I have skills. Learning the history of the Hellriders. Name lo names are lost in time, uh, which is something that they're trying to he's trying to figure out, like, there's, a, there's holes in the history of the Hellriders that he can't figure out. So those are our characters today. Uh, so the, 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 the story ended. Uh, you pulled up background stuff in the character sheets as well. No, uh, that one I asked. Um, that one, I just talked to the, the players, uh, initially. And when we were doing our session zero, I wrote that character background stuff. I don't know if they put that in their character sheets or not. I had a bad idea for me to go check, but not right now. Uh, so I don't need that window anymore. Uh, we are going to go to the tale of two cities. So they have made it to the Dungeon of the Dead 3 already. Let's pull up a map of the dungeon. So we don't need Elf Song Tavern. We did that. Uh, I did run the bandits, the bandit battle in Elf Song Tavern. It was a good, strong start. Like, they got to fight some bandits right away. Uh, one problem with the, the Dungeon of the Dead 3, it's big. This is a big dungeon. Um, so now I want the player version. I want the DM version. And uh, so they got through a lot of this area. There's a lot of, like, I hate water uh, that went on. And they're currently in D17. So they're theoretically about halfway through, right? Yeah. So room-wise, if we just do a room count, um, they're about halfway through. But I am uh, – I don't want to take a lot of time. I want to move this – this campaign is happening probably once – every three weeks or so and i'd actually like to be able to get through the campaign as much as we can so there are two things i'm going to do to help that one is i'm going to level them pretty quickly they're going to level about every session at least for the foreseeable future and particularly because of where they're going i don't think i have a problem leveling them up every session because they'll be like six or seven by the time they get into, well, they'll be at least four or five or six before they get into Avernus, I think. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we want to get them, we want to get them there. Um, so I'm going to level them every session. That will help. And then the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to abbreviate, right? So I'm going to cut boring stuff and I'm going to cut stuff that doesn't really, you know, if I can cut it, I'm going to cut it. And if I can get to the meat of the adventure and really run the meat, that's what I want to run. So an example of this is if they're in D17, they came in through D18, I think. Let's let's look at what D18 is. Um, 
Uh, D18 is the gas buildup. That might not be bad. It might be. I don't think they've actually gone into. Uh, they haven't gone into that. Um, and then when they when they go through this door, I think. Uh, what is D28? What I'm thinking of is what if we replace D18 with D28, and then you have this path that then leads to the final chambers. Like I want to get them into this area here. Uh, as quickly as possible. So it's possible like this secret door here is actually up here in above D18. And that way we get rid of 19 through 26, which is, uh, I don't know. I took a look at it before uh, just to kind of see what it was. Uh, 18, 19 is collapsed partial crypt. crypt. Uh, we have half plundered cave. And so some of the treasure, like the uh, bag of beans, what is a bag of beans? Rare magic item. Uh, yeah, so bag of beans is a cool magic item, right? So we're definitely going to, uh, in the treasure, I don't want to avoid treasure. So bag of beans, that sounds pretty great. That's a fun, that's a fun story-ish magic item. So we definitely want to have that in there. Zombie crypt, hey, fight six zombies. Torture chamber, hey, meet an NPC who's getting tortured. Uh, secret sentry door, fight a fist of bane. Merkel's rest. Merkel stuff, Bane stuff, uh, Ball stuff, uh, Echoes of a Battle in 27, um, and uh, Old Cellar. And then 29 is when we get to the interesting stuff. So you see, like, there's a lot of stuff. Now, you'd say, like, well, if there's not much there, like, it's not going to take long. But, man, when characters are, like, exploring doors and they're really like, oh, I bet there's something in this crypt, right? It could take a long time. It took a long time for them to even get through the bathhouse, right? And it's because there's a lot of, like, figuring out how they're going to do what they're going to do. So we're going to skip 19 through 26, I think, right, which is all the Bane Ball Merkle areas. But we have, you know, no one cares. And uh, we're going to start probably in 27. So maybe even, no, hmm. Um, just thinking out loud about D8. So 18... We're going to cut this off, that, that passage off to the east. We're going to cut it off. That cuts 19 through 26 out. And we go from 18, 27. I don't know. What's 28? I looked at 28 again. Whoops. Uh, Twenty-eight. We're going to get rid of that. We don't need an old cellar, right? So we can cut that off too. Um, let's just say it collapsed. And that way they go straight from 18, 27, 29, 30, which is all pretty interesting stuff, I think. Yeah, this is where they meet uh, Van Vanthemper. Uh, they have a bunch of treasure. There's some good treasure in here, right? They can't probably carry it all. Um, you know, all the stuff they stole and then the, the, the Covenant of the Dead Three, right? And so uh, I'm trying to think about the strong start. And I'm trying to imagine what kind of, what kind of interesting strong start would uh, happen here. My mic, man, you know what? It's static electricity shorts my mic out. Uh, connecting 18 to 28. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna connect 18 to 28. I'm gonna cut a bunch of the I'm gonna cut a bunch of the stuff that that kicks out there. And uh, but the characters are starting off in an altar. They just beat a bunch of Bayonite. Um, they just beat a bunch of, of not Bayonites, uh, a mixture of of dead three cultists. I don't want them to get jumped by cultists. Uh, I don't, they just met an NPC. Um, so a strong start in a dungeon after they beat somebody. Uh, otherwise the secret door in 23 is the only way through the essential encounter in 28. Yeah. So you have to find a, the secret door, but that's not a big deal. And I'm still going to have a secret door. They'll just, I, yeah, I think it's not the best strong start in the world, but I think the sounds of battle, Um, to the north, right? And then that will take them um, connect the uh, 18 to 28. I got to keep an eye on my levels now the whole time. Um, and then they meet uh, Vanthemper, uh, whose name is Mort Mortlock. Mortlock Vanthemper. Um, meet Mortlock Vanthemper. And um, 
Mortlock is going to have some interesting secrets and clues to share. Uh, so then return to Elsong. Uh, and then um, prepare. The villa. Uh, actually, conduct the infiltration. They need to get the shield. Uh, and uh, either kill or... Kill or capture Thavius Krieg. And then... Uh, GTFO out uh. so there's some hooks in here that are pretty important um, some some important things that need to connect major pieces here one of them that isn't super clear to me is uh, how do they know to get to Candlekeep now I think the easiest way is to just have the patron uh, Rhea say when they when they get the puzzle cube and they get information, they'll know that like, wow, there's more to this than we have seen. There's more to this ritual. There's someone in uh, Candlekeep that I know who we can meet with that the, the Hellriders have worked with before and she can help us figure out what to do with this stuff. Um, so they need to uh, get the shield, get the puzzle box. And kill or capture Thavius Krieg. Their motivation to get in there is to kill Thavius Krieg. But there's also, um, I think, yeah, so um, this is where the secrets uh, are going to drive the next stage of the adventure. So uh, the secrets are, um, a big one is that Elturel hasn't been destroyed. It's trapped in Avernus. Uh, the Vanthampers, uh, and actually his mother, right? Thalma, Duke Thalma Vanthamper. This is the big secret. Uh, uh, Duke Thalma Vanthamper, uh, financed an expedition, uh, uh, an excavation. Uh, of a powerful artifact uh, held by a group called the of the shield um, the knights the knights of the shield were supposedly uh, an honorable order of knights but were actually horrible, murderous bastards. Um, they worshipped a devil named, what's the name of the devil? Uh, what's this shield called? Shield of the Hidden Lord, Gargoth. They worshipped a devil named a devil named Gargoth. Uh, yeah, so I read, I actually went and picked up uh, Lords of Darkness, where they talk about the Knights of the Shield. Um, so that's a cool bit of lore. Um, so Duke Thalmara, Thalmara Vanthamper financed an excavation of a powerful artifact held by a group called the Knights of the Shield. Uh, Duke Thalmara Vanthamper. Uh, I don't need to keep calling her Duke. She, Duke Thalmara Vanthamper, uh, hired the cult of the dead, the dead three, to conduct kidnappings, murder, and other villainy to discredit the Flaming Fist. I don't know that that matters too much. Uh, Baldur's Gate has gone to hell, figuratively, 
um, since the excavation of the artifact, um, it might going there literally. Uh, Thamar Vanthaper is holding Thavius Krieg. Krieg, she believes, she believes Krieg knows the ritual to get to pull Baldur's Gate. And she wants to do so. So, why does she want to send Baldur's Gate into hell? Has she made the same pact? Is she just, you know, evil? We could go with just pure evil. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, man, the secrets are coming right out. So, does this connect? Uh, oh, let's see. The other secret is that. Um, our friend Rhea knows a sage in Candlekeep who deals in the occult. She's been on retainer from the Hell Riders for many years and can decode box. Um, Thavius. Uh, holds a puzzle box that he covets greatly. Uh, what other interesting bits? What So, you know, secrets in this case, they're bits of lore, but they're also the connective tissue that brings the scenes of the adventure together. So do we have... Um, do we have uh, uh, enough here to connect everything? So Mortlock is probably going to be the main driver of these secrets. He's going to tell a lot of these things, but he's not going to tell all of them. Like, I'm actually going to stick this one lower in the in the list. Um. Uh, so Mortlock is going to tell them, "Hey, my mom sucks, and she, uh, you know, they, she's trying to have me killed because she thinks I'm an idiot." And my mom and my brothers are working against me. And um, they, my mother hired the, has been working with the Cult of the Dead Three. So we have, yeah, so, you know, my mother has a powerful artifact that the Cult of the Dead Three excavated from a tomb beneath Baldur's Gate a long time ago. Very old tomb uh, with these old crazy knights. And then history checks and stuff. We might tell them more about the Knights of the Shield. Um, I don't know. If, yeah, and there'll be some sinister stuff. And if they learn everything, they'll learn about the 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 the, the devil Gargoth. Um, they know. They'll also find out that uh, Thalmara has been uh, holding Thavius Krieg, and that Thavius Krieg holds this strange puzzle box. So you've got the connection of Thavius Krieg, the puzzle box, the shield, and Thalmara, and the Vanthapur estate. That's all connected. So they know how to get from the Dungeon of the Dead Three. Uh, they have all the plot drives they need. Uh, plot coupons they need to get to um, Van the Vanthamper estate. And then they can learn about the Vanthamper estate. And, oh, that they see. That's a secret, right? The Vanthamper estate is um, connected underneath Baldur's Gate. So uh, they have multiple ways they can try to get the Vanthamper estate. Um, and then when they get to the Vanthamper estate, they'll get the shield and the shield is going to start immediately being like, Hey there, you know, it's going to like start talking to them. Like I've got information for you. And the shield has lots of information, uh, about what it wants. Um, so the shield is another good source of secrets. And then they'll also learn that about the puzzle box and they can't get it open, but they know that Thavius Krieg wanted it and they know it's covered in abyssal signs and, the drive there is Rhea will tell them, A, we need to get out of Baldur's Gate um, and we need to take the shield with us. And B, uh, I know somebody in uh, Candlekeep who can help us. And that gets them to Candlekeep. Uh, and that ends this chapter. When they get to Candlekeep, 
they will um uh you know they'll they'll open up everything they'll get they'll learn about the shield they'll be able to open a portal they'll be able to get into avernus and they will end up uh in elturel and that ends this chapter uh chapter two uh and then thus then the main adventure begins uh is there any other secret that i need to throw in here that helps connect all of that together um I don't know. Something might come to mind. Uh, but nine, those nine secrets are pretty strong and pretty easy to come up with too. So that's, that's what I'm saying that like, you know, running a, um, running a published adventure. Like I kind of know where things are going. Is it railroady? I mean, I don't know. Like there are parts of it that are like, there's a single main plot thread that's going on. And, but you know, as far as like figuring out how to get in the van, the state, they have lots of options there and lots of things they can do. Um, does it connect to the characters? Sure, because they all are one of the Hell Riders. So I think like there could be more companion stuff. Um, how about the companion? The can't the companion is a conduit for a greater deity. Um, I think the real secret, which I don't want to say out loud too much, uh, the real secret is that. Um, the companion, the that Zariel speaks through the companion, right? It was the companion was um, Thavius Krieg's uh, bond with Zariel, and it speaks through Zariel. And so, a common thread of the campaign is going to be that there's a part of good Zariel left that still speaks through the companion and speaks to uh, speaks to the character uh, to uh, tenacity. Uh, through the companion, so that's a good drive for story and plot. One of the one of the cool bits about having the characters um, built in the session zero around the game is that their backgrounds and their motivations become vehicles for secrets. So it's a it's a good easy way to uh, really fuel the um, you know f- fuel and funnel secrets to the characters they know things and they are directly in the middle of the story that goes on so when you're running a published adventure in particular when you're running a homebrew thing you can actually build your adventure around the characters which i'm not doing as great a job as i could in my uh, my my uh, eberron game and it's you know early enough in that campaign that i could i could still kind of fix that uh, when you're running a published adventure, you're, if you want to use it, you're probably going to be running the way the adventure is written. But if you get the characters to write themselves around the theme of the adventure, then it works in the other direction, and it works really well too. So that works. So fantastic locations I don't really have to worry about because it's in the book. Uh, for uh, NPCs, the ones that are going to pop right up, Mortlock is going to pop right up. Um, a lot of these NPCs I don't have to worry about. Uh, because they are in uh, uh, their older ones, or they're not, they're not here. So uh, the only NPC is is I did have immense. I hope someone remembers. Um, in my, I hope one of my players remembers was that there was a prisoner. Uh, I don't remember the name of the prisoner. I didn't write it down because I suck at writing things down during a game. And uh, so there's a prisoner they met with, and hopefully one of the players remembers. If not, a lot of them are like, oh, I don't know. And they say, yeah, well, I'll just make up on the spot. So we can go there. Sometimes I just make up a new name, and no one remembered the original name, and they're just fine with the new name. So we're just going to do that. Uh, Emmett Gravecloak. Oh, what a great name, man. My name, random name generator is awesome. Um, uh, maybe a former member. Uh, of Merkel. I think that could be fun. So my wife is getting groceries. So, um, yeah, so I think we are set there. Uh, monsters, we have the, we, we could do a little bit of review of monsters, particularly the cult. So we're gonna, um, we're gonna take a look at, um, uh, the cult of the dead three. Uh, I should have stayed here. So let's go down to NPC uh, to, to monsters. 
Cultists of the Dead 3. I'll just see if there's any, you know, any interesting things. So Fist of Banes are pretty solid. Um, had advantage on ability checks and saving throws made during combat. Huh. Man, advantage on saving throws during combat. That's a powerful ability. But kind of weak, right? One hit, six points of damage. So they're good in numbers. Iron Council, Console is a Bainite. 45 hit points, CR2. Uh, one attack with spear and can use voice of command. Uh, two allies within 90 feet that can hear each ally can immediately rush, use a reaction and make one melee attack. Wow. So that could be pretty good. So an Iron Console and a, and a few Fists of Bane would be pretty good. Black, Black Gauntlet of Bane is a CR6. Wow, that's hard. Uh, they are obviously a priest, Spirit Guardian, Silence, Guiding Vault. Um, those, are, those are pretty powerful. Two attacks with its mace. Uh, wow, seven damage plus 13 necrotic. That's 40 points of damage it can now put. Uh, oh, look, and they have Guiding Bolt as a, as a thing. Um, that's not bad. You could use this one. I don't know about that extra necrotic damage. That's pretty powerful. 40 points of damage. Pretty good, you know, I don't know. Not a bad, not a bad power, powerful character if you wanted to throw a CR6. They're like level three. Um, Nightblade is your aura of murder as long as Nightblade is not incapacitated. House of Creatures in five feet gain the vulnerability to piercing. You have vulnerability. So that means they take double damage from piercing. That's like a weird sneak attack, right? So Nightblades, um, yeah, that's kind of cool. It inflicts vulnerability, which means they stab, they do eight points instead of four. So they can hit pretty hard. Um, Reaper of Baal uh, likewise has the Aura of Murder and does 7 points, which means it does 14 and a hit and does it twice for 28. So that's a lot. Shroud Self turns invisible until the start of its next turn. The Reaper of Baal is pretty cool. And Death's Head of Baal. I like these characters a lot. I, don't wonder, I wonder who made them. Uh, 76 hit points. This looks like an assassin, right? CR5. Uh, it has Aura of Murder, so vulnerability to piercing. Stunning gaze. It makes two dagger attacks. That uh, one creature can see. Um, it can stun the creature, and it stunned the um, incapacitated. Can't move. Can't speak. Uh, and is incapacitated. Uh, can't take actions or reactions. Is it? Is but stunned is not the one you don't automatically get. Um, yeah, you're not unconscious. So stunned is, is pretty bad, but not uh, not so bad. Unstoppable, reduce damage. Uh, Death's head reduces the damage it takes from an attack. Wow, three times a day it can be unstoppable. That's badass too. Um, I don't think I'm going to run these at super high level uh, cultists, but they're kind of cool to have. I could definitely see writing a different adventure where you have a lot of these cultists. Uh, and then does seven piercing damage per attack and makes two dagger attacks. So that's 28 damage. So it's kind of close to the amount of damage output that the other one does, the Reaper. I might throw a Reaper in there. Um, and then we have the Necromites, uh, or the, the Merkle cultists. Skullflail, Claws of the Grave, one attack, five damage for eight points of damage. Range spell attack, 90 feet. That's pretty cool. Uh, we have a Skull Lasher of Merkle, uh, two attacks with its flail and can cast Ray of Sickness. CR1, um, and it has uh, can cast Darkness and Misty Step. That's kind of cool. Uh, cantrips are lame. Message, Mage Hand, Message, and Prestidigitation. Doesn't have any cantrip, damage cantrip. That seems bad. Um, has Shield. That's interesting. Uh, Iron Skull can cast Ray of Sickness, uh, which is a first level spell. Nine poison poison the next turn. Uh, and it can add an extra. It can do it at second level and knock it up to a 14 points of damage. Eh. Master of Souls. This is the one that was controversial because you fight one of these and it has fireball and it'll just wipe it'll just wipe characters out. Um and uh, Grave Magic is 5th level Spellcaster, Ray of Sickness, Scorching Ray. I would probably cast, I don't think I would do Fireball just because you'd wipe people out. But it might not be bad. Master of Souls might not be a bad uh, spell to cast. It has Misty Step, so it could do Chill Touch and Misty Step. It has Shield as well. 
So Master of Souls is not bad. So um, when I think about, yeah, so it's in the book. When we think about the final battle, um, this is the final battle against the Cult of the Dead 3 uh, here. Who do we have? So we have five. They are third level characters, I think. Uh, they got first and second. I'm pretty sure they are third level now. So five times three is 15. One quarter of that is uh, four. Is that right? Four, eight, 12, 16. Yeah. So um, I have four CRs worth to play with. Uh, if I want to do a hard fight, uh, and I think I'd be blowing it away just by throwing the Master of Souls in there, but I'm going to make it a little weaker. So, um, so we have a Master of Souls. Uh, we're going to have, I think, one of the um, Reaper of Ball. Uh, I think that will be sort of the two bosses in this fight. And then we'll have, uh, so then Bainites, um, I think we're going to have just some Fists of Bane. Uh, so how many? They are CR one half. We'll have like three Fists of Bane. Um, and we could do uh, like two Nightblades. Or is that, that's pretty good. That's a lot of guys. So the key is that like um, uh, some of those guys might go down when they're fighting Mortlock. Um, but I think that that is a solid, um, that is a solid encounter. Uh, I could actually, for funsies, and since I have time, uh, we're going to go in here and we're going to go into collections and we're going to make an encounter and I'm going to do, so we're going to, I don't, I don't need these. Uh, I'll keep Lord Crash's Lair. That's for my Ebron game. I'll create a new one. We will call it, um, this is the final battle in the Dungeon of the Cult of the Dead 3. And we, uh, so... Average party level, manage a character. Characters are level three. There are five of them. And it's going to be like, you're going to kill them all. Master of Souls, add. Oh, look at that. I'm already in a medium difficulty. Uh, Reaper. And as soon as I add this, boy, um, it's going to be deadly. And then I'm like, oh, but I'm not done yet. It's already deadly, but I'm not done yet. Uh, I'm going to add uh, three Fists of Bane and Night Blades. Uh, two, two Night Blades. So um, hard, deadly is considered 2,000. Uh, and my adjusted experience is 48. 75 so yeah i'm way higher than deadly it'll be fine i can wing it um so we're gonna save most of it is like they're gonna um shad says what are we doing now the video feed kept screwing up at the end of secrets uh i'm looking at monsters and i hope the feed hasn't been totally screwed up this whole time um so we save that encounter. So now what we have is a nice uh, encounter set up with these monsters, and I can I can uh, I can pull them out. Difficulty calculator for five level three. Yeah, you're way deadly. Uh, if I run it, then I can just sort of. Oh, this would be for initiative, but I'm not doing initiative. Um, I don't know about all this stuff. I don't know about all that. I just want the encounter. I just want to be able to click on a monster. Why does it not? Oh, it's opening up down here. Yeah, so I can go pink and pull up a monster. Does it have to? There we go. So that way I've got all the monster stat blocks handy. Um, so uh, 
Cool. Yeah, so I got my encounter ready. That's kind of the big boss fight, which they're going to fight next. I'm going to definitely give them a, tan a chance for a short rest uh, so they can recoup before they face all these guys. And then when we get in there, they're going to see all these guys, but they're going to be able to get the drop on them. So they'll be able to do a lot, and that way it won't be so bad. The one, the Reaper of Bala is going to be hiding, though. Um, and then it's going to see the characters. And, yeah, so that'll be, that'll be fun. So I've got a Merkel Priest. I've got a Reaper. Um, he might animate dead. That'd be kind of a fun spell. It brings it up and a couple skeletons pop out of that ground. You have to fight those. That'd be a fun thing to do. So that'd be cool. Um, I think my friend Michael said, is, uh, is the Adavra initiative list so you can copy and paste it? Your entire list will go. Not only is it so I can copy and paste it, it will actually create an alias for me. So then during the game, I can type uh, exclamation mark roll init and it will roll initiative for all of the characters and the monsters in one go. And uh, I just, I put a default, like, you know, initiative bonus of one for monsters. And that way uh, it's all set and I can, I can jump right into it. The other thing that I'm doing uh, now is I have this new uh, markdown based uh, combat tracker where I can use it to track monsters. Um, but like, I'll show you an example. So we have that, um, uh, we'll call this final battle. Uh, this is like my equivalent of uh, setting up a Roll20 battle map. So I know that I've got um, a Master of Soul. Oh, oh, so let's look at the location. Dungeon of the Dead 3. Go all the way to the end. Um I'm skipping this whole boat thing, by the way. We're not going to do that, brother. That's, you know, I don't need them to go to the low lantern. I think I mentioned it, and some people are like, oh, we should go there. <laughs> Lame. Um, so, um, so the map, let's take a look at the map. Yeah, it's got these statues. So I think that um, we might split up this encounter uh, 29. So they come into 27, and when they look in here, there'll be a fight going on in area in, in 29. Um, and so this one we're going to have essentially two locations, right? So we'll do uh, – for so the first location is going to be the right, and that's the pillars. Um, and that's eastern, right? So we have the eastern pillar hall, and then we have the island uh, – and on the dry island is um, the jackass, uh, the brother Mortlock, right? Uh, it's a dry island. We have Mortlock, and he is going to have. Um, so we have uh, Fist of Bane. No, what are they called? Uh, yeah, the Fist of Banes. And two. Uh, Reaper Night Blades. Um, and then at the uh, so we I don't oh and then there's a Northern Door location. Um, and then if we're gonna get crazy about it, there is also a um, uh, Altar of the Dead Three. Right, and at the altar to the dead three uh, is the master of souls. Um, I guess that's it. And then in secret um, is the uh, other one. He's kind of invisible and he's wandering around. And that's the reaper ball. Um, And I'm not going to show that one. So what I can do is I can grab when, as soon as they go into that room, as soon as they come through the secret door in area 27, I'm cutting off 28. They go north through the pillar in the water. They, they go to 29 and they will see that there's a dry Island and they'll see Mortlock standing there. Who's fighting three fists of Bane and two night blades. And there's like a dead fist of Bane and a dead night blade lying nearby. And he's badly wounded. And then one of the night blades manages to stab him. 
what's in D30? Uh, oh, that's I think that's where the treasure is. Uh, yeah, that's where the treasure is. So then what's in D32? Uh, stolen goods. Okay. So, yeah, anyway, so my, my what I do is I, I copy this list and I paste it into Discord. And because it's written in Markdown, it will render nicely. It'll show up with italicized characters. It'll show up with bolded locations. The dash, dash, dash basically means that it's about 25 feet away. You could get there in a move action. If it's too far away, um, if it's too far away, then you could do two of those, right? You do like another set. And that would say it's going to take you a move and an action to be able to get to that next location. But generally speaking, you say it's one move action to get from one location. So it's sort of like a zone, a zone system. And um, as the characters start to do damage to these Fist of Bane, I'll start to ask for notable physical attributes, and then I can put them in here. So the Fist of Bane with a large loop earring, the Fist of Bane with a mohawk helmet, the Fist of Bane with two bloody maces, you know, the Nightblade with a scar over her face. You know? um, so we will identify all of those and this way the players without having to have a whole battle map with tokens and everything they can they'll be able to see the map because i'm gonna i'm gonna snapshot that into the text window and then um uh then they will also be able to look and go ah okay so that eastern pillar hall that's there and that's where all we are and the dry island is there and that's where everybody else is and if people move around um, you know, they can, they can get to the other ones. You know, the other locations are of course the other, if it's sort of one big battle in four rooms. So it's a, it's a, you know, the zone system, I think I first ran into it in, um, fate and, uh, I think it works really well. Essentially you just, you identify a location and you give it some interesting attributes or you give it a, an, an interesting name and then characters can interact with the things that are going on in that name. Um, or, you know, they can, oh, you know, what's going on with the altar, you know, the dead three altar. Um, so, and then it, it, you basically just say like, it's your move action to get from one quote unquote zone to another zone. And if you're casting a fireball, it's in one zone, right? Like, which do you want to cast it on the dry Island and hit everybody there? Or do you want to hit Eastern pillar and hit all your friends? So you can, you can sort of figure out the range and the areas of effect, by the zone. Can you cast Thunder Wave? Yeah, but only on the people that are in your, you can hit two people inside your zone or three if you're willing to put a friend in the way. Um, but you'd have to move to another zone if you want to hit it. So somebody could say, I want to cast Thunder Wave. I want to move on my turn from the Eastern Pillar Hall to the Dry Island where the Fists of Bane are. And I want to hit three Fists of Bane with a, with a um, we might mix these up too, right? Um, and I want to hit, um, Uh, I want to hit like three people in a, in a blast and then that works well. If you want to show that like you're in a zone, but you're not right adjacent to somebody, you can just put a line break between them. So like this way, the Fist of Bane is standing in the back from the Nightblade or the Nightblade, you know, maybe the two Fists of Bane are up front and the Nightblade is kind of darting in and then stepping back out or something like that. Um, so you can sort of show it's, I call it a one dimensional battle map because it's like everybody's sort of in a line. There's not, there's not X, Y positioning, but generally speaking, if you look at the line, it works, it works out. Uh, so it's a, I've now tried it a couple of times and it's kind of mixed results. You know, like people, some people like it. I, I think it's better than nothing, but I think people still like, man, it's not a battle map. And you're like, yeah, it's not a battle map. Um, so I, I think the problem is it gets people interested in a battle map more so than like just running theater of the mind. Um, so I don't know if it's actually helping or it's making people more frustrated. So I'm going to try it again a few times and see, see how it works out and, and see what we've got. So I think I'm all set. I'm ready to run some D and D. Um, my game's not until 1230, which is nice. Um, but you know, I'm excited about it. I like, it's funny. Like this whole intro gets a sort of a bad, a bad rep. Um, but I'm I'm fine with it, and I'm I'm having fun, and I think the players are having fun, and I'm excited where it's going to go. I haven't even really looked at the next chapter; like I haven't looked for anything past Candlekeep. Um, so you know, so we'll we'll see where things go. But I'm but I'm pretty happy. Uh, are there any other interesting topics? Or we have like three minutes left in the show today, four minutes or so in the show, plus a couple minutes because my audio cut out. Uh, what other interesting D and D things are going on? Um, any other new or interesting, I guess, when is Theros, uh, when is Theros coming out? Um, Mythic Odysseys of Theros, uh, is coming out. There's an alternate cover that's only at game shops. I got to actually call my game shop. Uh, they're only open one day a week right now. 
Uh, not till June 2nd. Okay, so it's a month away. But I like that cover, and I want that, I want that special cover. So I'm going to call them up and ask if I can pre-order the special cover. Um, yeah, so that's a month away for that, for that book. Um, I can give my complaint. Why don't I, I could rant for a minute. You ready for my rant? My rant is not going to be what you think it is. Uh, my rant is not against Magic the Gathering settings turned into D&D, and D&D books. My rant is against people who don't treat these like they are brand new campaign settings. So I know a fair number of people that I've talked to where if you were to ask them, hey, did you hear Wizards of the Coast is coming out with a new Greek-themed fantasy world? Uh, you know, that you can, that, that, that you can play as a D and D setting that's brand new, right? Never been done. Not, not a historical one. It's brand new. They'd be like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And then if you say, oh, by the way, it was a magic, the gathering world, they go, oh, lame. And it's like, what's the difference, right? Like, you know, who cares? And I'd say the same thing for wild mount that like, you know, some people are not interested in wild mount because it's the critical role world. They're not really critical role people, so they don't feel connected to it. And that's fine, but if like if if you just heard that like they were coming out with a new gray hockey style world, um then you know, what would you know? Uh so uh Shad Zar says, MTG books suck. Uh, had you read any of the novels? No, I didn't read any of the novels. Um so to me it's brand new, right? So if I had heard Wizards of the Coast has come out with a brand new book. That's Greek themed D&D. The only thing I'd say is like, well, Odyssey, the Dragon Lords just came out, which is a third party book, but it's freaking amazing. So like, to me, it's, you know, why, why do we have to, why does it a stigma that it's a Magic the Gathering world? You know, Ravnica was pretty wild. You know, I, of course, I will complain and say, I kind of wish they had done Sigil instead, Sigil, right? And I would rather have done Planescape instead of Ravnica because they're both very similar. Um, I don't believe in the conspiracy theory that because they did Ravnica, they're not going to do Planescape. Um, I don't think that matters that much. But I do think that uh, 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 there's something about... First of all, I think that WotC sort of has like a streamlined process now for making... Um, uh, so Shadstar says, D&D and Magic players have been fighting... I'm assuming Magic players have been fighting for years due to the tables basic game stores. I don't know. I get along with them. And and by the way, if you're a D&D... Let me... Boy, I'm, you're going to get me on another rant here. If you're a D&D player who's mad at the Magic the Gathering players, you can suck eggs. Because Magic the Gathering makes so much more money for game shops than D&D does. So unless you are dropping 20 to $30 every time you go in to play D&D, you don't get to say anything. Because Magic is what's keeping game shops open. So every time I go into a uh, game shop and play D&D at a game shop, which I do, and I see magic people, I remember the fact that they're carrying my load, not the other way around, right? Like Magic the Gathering people, not only, oh man, you want to get into it. If you like fifth edition, you owe it to Magic the Gathering, right? And I have, I have proof of this. I was in a f- cocktail party back in, when was it? 2007 or something like that? No, it wasn't that far back. 2000, it was, it was uh, when the D&D Next playtest just started. And I was in a cocktail party. I, I got smuggled in by my friend Jeff Greiner, who runs the Tome Show. And he got in because he was press and was able to do an interview with the head of Wizards of the Coast at the time. I don't remember the guy's name, but he was the head of Wizards of the Coast. And I was standing there. So this isn't one or two parties. I heard him say it. The president of Wizards of the Coast said it in front of me. And... We were what we were amazed. We said, like, how is it that you are running a uh, two-year playtest for D&D when you've basically stopped production on all D&D books, right? Fourth edition is done. You had, like, one or two books after that. This was when they did, like, um, uh, the Menzo Baranzan book, which was very sort of system-neutral uh, book about Menzo Baranzan. And they had done another... There was another book they did like that, but they hadn't done any other products. And he said, like, um, you know, they said, like, uh, uh, so there's no production schedule for D&D. And so he said, like, this is Jeff asking uh, the president of Watson. God, I wish I could remember the guy's name. And he said, like, how is it that you are able to afford a two-year play test for the entire D&D team to build a new version of D&D? He says, magic is paying for it, right? That was his words. Magic is paying for it. So... 
According to the president of Wizards of the Coast, the reason we have the fifth edition of D&D is because Wizards of the Coast, the president at the time, damn, I should get Pete or something. Um, the president of Wizards of the Coast at the time made a decision that he was going to go ahead and let Magic carry the, carry the load for D&D for two years to make a new version of D&D. He could have easily just turned it into brand and just said, you know what, we're just going to focus D&D on, on video games and other stuff, and we're not going to make a new version. It just doesn't pull, the, it doesn't pull in the money. He could have very easily have said that, and he didn't. And instead, he gave them authority to make a two-year playtest of D&D, and they did. And now we have fifth edition, and then D&D shot like this. It's like um, doubling every 18 months or something like that, according to my Twitter data. So, yes, we owe fifth edition to, to Magic the Gathering. And when we go to game shops and we're running D&D games at game shops, the magic the, the magic people are generally the people keeping the doors open at that place. Otherwise, we wouldn't be there. I try to buy every book I can from my local game shop. I've been, unfortunately, now we're playing from home all the time. and uh, But even now, I'm going to call my local game shop, who's only open one day a week right now, to pre-order Theros. Because it's a brand new D&D world. And I, want, I like brand new D&D worlds. I don't care that it was for magic. That doesn't matter, right? It's a brand Like Ravnica never has any clear mechanic association to magic the gathering it is a wild ass world with wild ideas and it's got a lot in it and it was really cool and i read it and i liked it you know am i going to run a campaign in it probably not i'm probably not going to run a campaign in mythic odyssey mostly because my campaigns are full i'm running all kinds of stuff but to me i'm in, i am just as interested in theros and ravnica and wild mount as i am in any new game world that Wizards of the Coast would have put out. If they said, we're putting out a brand new world, I would be just as interested in that world as I am in these three, which is a fair bit. I think it's great. So that is my rant. If you don't like, I'm not gonna, I mean, you get to decide what you like and why. I don't get to choose that for you. But I will tell you that my opinion is um, that when a new campaign source book comes out, it doesn't matter what its origin was. It's still a new campaign source book and it still could be very interesting and you could still harvest it for ideas and you can still just read it and enjoy the artwork and just let it seep into you. Let the, let the fantasy seep into you and get ideas from it and be like, huh, that's interesting and grab little bits of lore and bring it into your own world or steal locations and put it into your own world. These places, you know, you think about these books we got, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the Eberron book, right? But like, I've got this Eberron hardcover book, right? I got the collector's edition because I like the collector's edition. And it's 320 pages, right? 320 pages full of full-color art, maps, locations. I bought it for $50. $50. Is that a lot? Many people these days, yes. However, how much did it cost? Like, what? let's pretend for a minute I was going to have to make this. Right. And I was like, I'm the only one. No one wants to make the book. And I'm going to hire all the writers. Right. I go through and I, I, you know, I hire Crawford and Wyatt and Baker and Presner and Bill Benham and Dan Dillon and James Intercasso and Adam Lee. And, you know, I hire all these people and I hire all the artists. I commission all of the art and I pay for all of the writing and I pay for the, the binding and the production and the art direction and play testing and all of the stuff that went into this. I have to finance it myself. How much would it cost me to make this? $50,000, $100,000, maybe a hundred thousand. It would not surprise me to, to, to pay. I mean, it just, if you did it like on word count rates, like let's assume I could hire Jeremy Crawford to do 10 cents a word on, 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 on design, design work and development work. It'd really be 20 cents because you can't pay for somebody with deadline and development. Um, you know, 320 pages, it's, it's like 250,000 words. This is a deal. What a deal we're getting. Every time we get a source book, we're getting like, a, I'm making a number up out of my head, sorry. We're making like a $100,000 book that we get for $50, right? God, that's a good value. And when you think about like the amount of energy that goes into it and the amount of lore that's in it, and then you can sit back and enjoy it. And read it, and it's delightful. So that's my rant. Enjoy campaign books. Let go of your bias. I'm, I'm preaching. I'm sorry. Don't, you don't have to do anything I say, and that doesn't matter, and my opinions don't matter. Um, but I try to let go of my, bi my biases when I get these books and just – you don't have to run them, and they don't have to be your favorite thing. But, boy, there's a lot of great material in here that you can, that you can seep up. So 
you know, I read Ravnica and there's interesting stuff, really interesting stuff in that Ravnica book, right? And I'm sure I'm I'm buying Theros. I'm interested, right? I buy I buy everything, but I'm I'm interested now. And if I had players that are like I read Theros and I think I'd be it'd be really nice change of place to play a Greek themed fantasy RPG. But like, we're in, we're gonna play Theros, right? And no one who cares. It's magic. It doesn't matter. Right? Who cares if Critical Role is using Wildmount? I mean, A, it's really cool. And if you love Critical Role, boy, you're, you're in. Uh, but if you don't pay any attention to Critical Role, so what? Wildmount is awesome. So that is my rant. Thank you for letting me rant. Seven minutes over schedule. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and then my opinion is obviously just my own. And, you, you know, it could be wrong. And, and I could change my mind. You know, I've been wrong and I have changed my mind many times in the past. Uh, but why not, uh, why not play in a, uh, uh, why not just enjoy what's coming out, you know? And as, as I think Matt Mercer wrote on Reddit, when people were like, why do you have to do stupid wild mount instead of Spelljammer or whatever hollow world or whatever bullshit world they wanted. And he said, look, I, I met with wizards and I told them, I want you to go make Planescape, right? I want you to make dark sun. And they heard me, but they also want to make wild mount, right? So uh you know even he wants the old books but the reality is like what do they say like three out of five i'm making a number up again but pretty close three out of five people playing D &D now have only been playing in the last two years three out of five are playing two years they don't have any nostalgia for that stuff right there's no if you bring out planescape you're gonna have a bunch of people that played it whatever 20 years ago who are real excited including me who are really excited about it but everyone else is like this is weird so you know Maybe, maybe, yeah, world moves on. Um, anyway, that was my rant. Thank you very much. And uh, I want to thank everybody for coming into the channel today. I want to thank everybody for helping me out. Thank you. Uh, special thanks to my friend, Michael Lawhorn, for calling me on the phone to let me know that my microphone kicked out. That was very nice. And uh, we will be back on tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, talking about Eberron. So I hope you will come back and enjoy there. So thank you very much. Uh, have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.